happening in the present and all things that are yet to come. I also know all living entities, but me no one knows. Please repeat, O Arjuna, o Arjuna as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, I know everything that has happened in the past, all that is happening in the present, and all things that are yet to come. I know all living entities, but me no one knows. Purport by His Divine Grace, Shri Prabhupada. Here the question of personality and impersonality is clearly stated. If Krishna, the form of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, were Maya, material, as the impersonalists consider him to be, then like the living entity, he would change his body and forget everything about his past life. Anyone with the material body cannot remember his past life, nor can he foretell his future life, nor can he predict the outcome of his present life. Therefore, he cannot know what is happening in past, present, and future. Unless one is liberated from material contamination, he cannot know past, present, and future. Unlike the ordinary human being, Lord Krishna clearly says that he completely knows what happened in the past, what is happening in the present, and what will happen in the future. In the 14th chapter, we have seen that Lord Krishna remembers instructing Vivishwan, the sun god, millions of years ago. Krishna knows every living entity because he is situated in every living being's heart as the super-soul. But despite his presence in every living entity as the super-soul and his presence as the supreme personality of Godhead, the less intelligent, even if able to realize the impersonal Brahman, cannot realize Sri Krishna as the supreme person. Certainly the transcendental body of Sri Krishna is not perishable. He is just like the sun, and Maya is like a cloud. In the material world we can see that there is the sun and that there are clouds and different stars and planets. The clouds may cover all these in the, all these in the sky temporarily, but this covering is only apparent to our limited vision. The sun, moon, and stars are not actually covered. Similarly, Maya cannot cover the Supreme Lord. By his internal potency, he is not manifest to the less intelligent class of men. As it is stated in the third verse of this chapter, out of millions and millions of men, some try to become perfect in his human form of life. And out of thousands and thousands of such perfected men, hardly one can understand what Lord Krishna is. Even if one is perfected by realization of impersonal Brahman or localized Paramatma, he cannot possibly understand the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Sri Krishna, without being in Krishna consciousness. <coughs> Translation, O Arjun, as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, I know everything that has happened in the past, all that is happening in the present, and all things that are yet to come. I also know all living entities, but me no one knows. Oma Gyantimanandasya Gyanangyana Shilakaya Chakshuna Militam Jenatasmai Sigurdavenamaha Sri Chitanyamano Bishtam Stapitam Jenabutale Shwayam Rupakadamayam Dadantishva Vadantikam Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Vasari Gaur Bhaktivrindam Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Nama Hare Nama Nama Om Mam Hrim Shrom Om Farom Tataka Hataka Keshaka Jalat Parakalochana Bhadharakanaka Sparsadiva Singha Namaste So this verse of Bhagavad Gita we can see a comparison between the Supreme Personality of Godhead and the living entities. Because Krishna is eternal, and Krishna 
uh, is never subjected to the illusion of the material life. He never forgets. He can remember all stages, all phases of time, the past, the present, and he can also see into the future. But the living entity who has fallen from grace, who has fallen from the spiritual sky, because he is the infinitesimal part and parcel of the Supreme Lord, he is not supreme. Being very tiny, he is subject to forgetfulness. Actually, we experience this forgetfulness every 100 years. It's like you have a computer program. If you know computers, you're working on your computer, and if you make a mistake with your program, you can delete the whole text you are working with. So every 100 years, everything's deleted. All that you know now, all that you knew in the past, and all that you think you know in the future, it's all deleted in death. Perhaps by some hypnotic regression, one can get a few facts or something from the past. But um, basically speaking, being very tiny and at the mercy of this material energy, we are prone to forgetfulness. But Krishna is not. When Krishna appeared 5,000 years ago, he didn't change his body. He came in the same original body that he's always had. Change of body means forgetfulness. So that is the difference between God and the living entity. This verse is actually, in effect, a comparison between the living entities and the Supreme Lord, just to help us understand our tiny position. Because in the material world, we tend to be puffed up. But our original position is humble servant of the Lord. So we hear this philosophy of how God is great and we are very small, and we can become situated in our original position as servants of the Supreme Lord. Sometimes two things of a similar nature are compared in order to appreciate the superiority of one over the other. Just like when you go shopping, you, you're buying um, some potatoes or something. So you go and you look at the different potatoes and then you, know, you look, oh, they're both potatoes, but this one is superior than this one. So sometimes by comparing two things, we can appreciate the superiority of one over the other. So in this way, if we compare the Supreme Lord, who is a person, with the living entity, he was also a person. We can very easily understand who is superior, how God is superior to every living entity. Nityo nityanam chaitanas chaitananam ekobahanam yovadidati kamang. This verse from the Upanishad states that the Supreme Lord is eternal and the living entities are eternal. The Supreme Lord is cognizant. The living entities are also cognizant. The difference is that the Supreme Lord is supplying the necessities of life for every living being. So there's similarities. Just like the gold uh, in a ring and the gold in a gold mine are similar. But the quality is much different. So we are qualitatively one with God. We have the qualities of God. I believe nectar devotion states something like 68% of the qualities of God. But we don't have the quantity that God has. God is like the gold mine and we are like the tiny ring. And this is the beginning of transcendental knowledge. We hear the ABCs of Bhagavad Gita. Bhagavad Gita is the ABCs of spiritual knowledge. We understand our tiny infinitesimal uh, position as servants of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So there are similarities, but there's a vast difference. Although it's stated, Ekobahusham, that the one has become many, it is also stated, Asham Urdva, no one is equal to or greater than Krishna. So we are the part and the parcel. Jivar Swarup Koya Krishnera Nityadas. That is our natural position. 
And if we don't act as the servant, if we try to act as the master in this material world by trying to enjoy everything ourselves, that position is very artificial. We cannot be happy. As a saying in English, too many cooks spoil the preparation. Too many sannyasis spoil the yoga. So if everybody tries to be chief and nobody wants to be master, what's going to happen? It will create chaos. There has to be a chief and there has to be the masters and there has to be the servants. So we are all trying to act the role of the master, the enjoyer, in the material world. But our position is to be enjoyed. Prabhupada used to give the analogy, although it wasn't very popular in the 60s, I'm sure it's not very popular in the 90s either, that the woman is naturally enjoyed by the man. We have any woman livers here? <laughs> so, because of a sense of wanting to become independent, sometimes the women, of course because they're not protected, but anyway, the women want to become equal to the men. A woman's natural position is to serve her husband. That's natural. It's harmony like that. But out of frustration, because the women are not protected in Kali Yuga, they want to become independent of that situation. They want to become equal. But there's a difference. It is unnatural for a woman to act like a man and for a man to act like a woman. That is not natural. It is more natural that the woman is subservient to the man in the marital relationship. So similarly, what is our position? We are not the masters. We are the we are the servants. We are prakriti. And Krishna is purusha. Purusha means the master and prakriti means the energy or more specifically it means the servant of the Lord. So if we act outside of our context as servant, we become very unglorious. But as soon as we begin to act as servants of Krishna, all our good qualities come forward. The one who becomes a devotee of the Lord, all the good qualities of the demigods become manifest in such a devotee. When you put something in its proper place, it's actually appreciated. Something outside of its proper context is not so much appreciated. And Chanaka Pandit, a great logician, politician from India, he stated, he gave the example of water. And water is a very simple subject. Water is very invigorating before a meal. It's like nectar during a meal, but it's like poison after a meal. Those of you who know Ayurveda, if you, when we eat food, then the fire of digestion is there. You need the fire of digestion to digest the food. But if after a big meal, you eat a big pot of ice cream, like we generally do at our or sweet rice or something. You put out the fire. It's more difficult. Actually, in Gujarat, I think the sweets are eaten first, aren't they? I think we're going to a temple tonight. Maybe they'll give us some prasadam. And it's, they give the sweets first. The cold sweets are given first. So, uh, that is the case. So, we take the case of water. Water before a meal is very nice. It's even more nice during a meal. If you're eating and there's no water, you're all dried up please give me a glass of water. So it's in a proper context. Everyone loves water. Water, water all around, but not a drop to drink. That was an old sailor's saying in England. Water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. He was thought this sailor was on the ocean. And um, he was so thirsty, but he couldn't drink the salt water. <laughs> so water in its proper context, before a meal, during a meal, very nice, but after a meal, it's not very much, should not be very much appreciated. So the living entity, in God's service, first class, 
locked right into his natural position as servant. Very nice servant of God. But you take the living entity out of God's service, he becomes useless. We're very tiny, but we're considered useful when we're engaged in our natural occupation as servant of God. Just like this harmonium here. Now, all the parts of this harmonium are actually important to the total nature of this instrument. Now, if we take a little screw out here, just say we're playing like really, you know, have a big kirtan later, and a screw pops out and goes on the floor. So someone's dancing, and oh, they dance, they step on the screw. What is this little piece of... They throw it out the window. And gradually my harmonium starts falling apart. Other pieces fall out. Where's the screw? Has anybody seen a screw here? What do you mean? It's a little tiny thing. It's really important. Please, you know, can somebody find the screw? Oh, I threw it out the window. Please go get it. So when the screws, although it's tiny, when it's in the harmonium, it's significant. But you take the screw and you throw it outside. It's insignificant. Another example Papa gave was the thumb. Now, the thumb, your thumb's very important. It's just a little guy there. He's only about three inches big. But uh, he's really important. There's so many things. When the British went to India, they tried to stop Gandhi's non-cooperation movement because he was making cutty. With, with, uh, by the, the Indians were making cutty on the spinning wheel. So the, because the, anyway, it's a long story, but the British didn't want them to do it. So what they did to solve the problem is cut off everybody's thumb. And the English soldiers went around with their bayonets, chop, 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 chop. And they were given a reward for as many big bags of thumbs they could. Ooh, ah. <laughs> it's true. That soldier came back with the most thumbs. You know, he got a bottle of whiskey or something. <clears throat> so that the thumb's a little thing, but it's very, very important. It's very, very useful. Now, we appreciate it on the on the hand, but if you looked in that bag, pulled out one of those thumbs, yuck! Ugh, what is thrown in the garbage? Disgusting. Actually, when I was in school in the eighth grade we were doing wood shop and one of my friends was making you know on this we had this mm, blade he was like and I looked over and there was his thumb sitting there you know he went my thumb (laughs) so all the kids went you know oh god throw it away step on it get rid of it but the teacher was very intelligent he picked that thumb up sorry to be such a graphic examples but sadhu means one who cuts through the illusion so he took that thumb and he rushed the boy to the hospital and they were actually able to sew it back on and it was you know it works pretty good he just can't play violin or something he can't do all the things like that but um, the thumb attached to the body is very significant but as soon as it becomes detached from the body it becomes something very disgusting so our position is like we're also very tiny we're not very great the Sveta Svetaru Upanishad describes that the living entity is one ten thousandth the tip of a hair. You take one ten, th- one ten thousandth the tip of a hair in dimension. You take a hair and you divide it a hundred times, a hundred times, a hundred times again, like that. Then that's how that's who we really are. We're just insulating the tiny spirit soul. But as soon as we get into the material world, all of a sudden, you know, the illusion of, ah, I'm very important. Like the mosquito that landed on the king's knee. King was giving darshan to his thousands of subjects, and they were praising, "Long live the king! Vive le roi!" That's French for "Long live the king." So the mosquito came along, and he saw a nice mm, look at that big meal there, a nice big <laughs> fat knee. So he sat on the king's knee, and he's just about to go about his 
business of stinging the king, but he looked out and they saw all the people. All glories to you. All glories to you. Please accept our most humble obeisances. And then the illusion is little mosquito is thinking, oh, <laughs> yes, bzz, bzz, bzz. Thank you very much. Oh, yes. Keep going. Yes, all glories to you. You are our savior. You are protect. Yes, yes, I am. This is the nature of material life. Therefore, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati said, one who glorifies me is my enemy. One who increases the material conception of life, that I am great and I am wonderful, then um, he is actually my enemy. So that the mosquito is going, oh, yes. And finally, he got so excited, he just stuck a stinger down like that. And the king went, whack end of the story <laughs> so that is the position of the living entity under the influence of the material energy the material energy causes us to think uh, that that we are supreme so we have to to understand our real position outside of Krishna consciousness is one of uselessness Janaka Pandit gives another example he says rain which falls upon the sea is useless so is food to one who is full and it is, it is vain to give a gift to one who is wealthy and the light of a lamp is useless during the day so these are all very wonderful things we appreciate the light of a lamp we appreciate a gift we appreciate food we appreciate rain but if they're not used in their proper context useless what's the value of rain that falls on the sea who cares for a meal when you're full uh, what's the, what, for what reason to give a gift to someone who's wealthy and what is the use of a lamp during the day? Prabhupada used to say, turn off all these lamps. It's daytime. So, something has to be situated in its proper context in order to be actually appreciated. So, we're like that in the material world. We're useless. We used to use this word, I remember the kids in Gurukul. Because our children, they don't associate with non-devotees. They don't learn all those four-letter words, those foul words like they have in the schools here. So they just made up, you know, what's a really bad word to call somebody? I remember at New Mayapur, one kid came up to another kid, and that first child had offended him. So the boy came up and he said, you know what you are? And I went, oh my God, what word is he going to say now? You're a, you're useless. <laughs> that little boy, oh, useless. He called me useless. <laughs> so that, we're useless. I don't want to use any bad words. I already used enough gross, gross examples like cut off thumbs and things in the class. So I, will, I'll, I won't use any bad words. I'll just say the living entity separated from God, he becomes useless. But as soon as you connect the living entity to God again, he becomes useful. He becomes wonderful. And that is the meaning of religion. Re religion comes from the Latin verb reglio. And regulo, reglio means to connect, just like the word yoga. Bengali yoga, Prabhupada said yoga, and in Uttar Pradesh they say yoga. But Prabhupada said yoga. So what is it? Yoga used to yoke, to to link up. Okay, same thing. To link yoga means to link. So regular religion, yoga, the same purpose. It means to link up with the supreme personality of God. By taking up religious activity, we again situate ourselves in our real glory. And you see all the good qualities of a devotee manifest when he's properly situated in Krishna consciousness. Just like if you take a piece of crystal. Now these days everyone's using crystal for healing and doing all these. I don't know the whole thing, but all I know, <clears throat> you take a piece of crystal, you just look at it, it looks ordinary. But you situate it properly 
against the light and what happens so all the all the beautiful colors of the rainbow come out okay. just a, just like a it's just a, like a rock clear rock just nothing so significant but you put it next to a light all of a sudden blue green yellow mm, all those colors <laughs> it becomes very beautiful so you situate the living entity just you put him properly right there in locked into devotional service to God serving the Supreme Personality Shravanam Kirtanam Vishnu Shmaranam Padasevanam Arjunam Bandam Dasham Sakyam Atmani Vedanam glorifying the Supreme Lord hearing chanting remembering uh, worshipping the lotus feet all these activities of devotional service you put the living entity in service to God and just like the rainbow comes from the crystal all the good qualities all your good qualities become manifest right now in this material world all our good qualities are covered by lust by anger by greed but as soon as you put the living entity in devotional service his true glory comes out right now we're in a very embarrassing situation we possess an eternal form of bliss and knowledge, but we're attached to this sack of mucus, bile, and air. We're very proud of it. But what is the value of this body? You actually calculate what is the value of this body. Well, they've determined that the value of this body after death is about one pound, 40 pence. That's about all it is. We're very proud of this body. But what is the actual worth of this body? At death, this body turns into three things. It turns into dust, uh, it turns into ashes, or it turns into stool. That body that we look in the mirror every morning, like, oh, yes, looking quite nice there today. Mm -hmm. But what is the fate of that body? In some countries, they bury the body and it becomes food for the worms. In some countries, they burn the body, it becomes ashes. In some countries, they throw the body to the dogs and become stool. That's the fate of this body to which we are so attached. And we're very proud of it. But actually, it's an embarrassing situation. This body is actually a sign of our rebellion against God. In a spiritual world, they don't have bodies like this. The bodies are eternal, full of knowledge and bliss. Only when we become independent of God do we get a body like this. Just like when someone commits a crime, he goes to jail, he has to change his clothes. He gets a, a prison suit. Which in the old days, he had to put a stripe, black and white stripe, a ball and chain. And that was a, he had to wear that suit. It was very embarrassing. Oh, I'm a prisoner. Or like in some countries, they chop off the hand. Oh, here we go again. Went from the thumb to the hand now. They chop off the hand. And everyone knows, there's a thief, watch out. Or in some countries, they would brand the person actually in the in the beginning America in the 1700s <clears throat> if someone was uh, a cr convicted criminal they would actually brand his forehead with a certain mark so everywhere he went everyone would oh, watch out here comes a thief here comes a criminal branded <laughs> so who would be very look at my brand here very nice isn't it no it's an embarrassing it means you're a rascal so body means you're a rascal you only get this body if you want to try to be independent of God. This body is only for those who have desires separate of God, independent, material desires. The body is only a facility for experiencing or fulfilling material desire. But material desire is not wanted. What is wanted is spiritual desire. So although the body may be very beautiful, 
very handsome, very pretty, very young, very athletic. Still, it's branded. It's a sign of our of our independence. But unfortunately, uh, we're attached. We're attached to the miserable condition. Therefore, the Shastra state, Yasyatma Puri Kunape Tridalatuke. That one who accepts this body as his self, who has affinity for relatives, land of birth, he considers worshipable, and who bathes at holy places but does not associate with the sadhus that live there, such a person is considered no better than an ass or a cow. So we should be embarrassed of our situation and try to change it. Just like if you have pimples or something, you know, then you try, you take the cream and you try to come, <laughs> try to change it. So we shouldn't, you know, present this body as something wonderful. We should try to get rid of it. Of course, we're not advocating suicide, but um, <laughs> we should try to free ourselves from these upadis or these false designations, from this, this suffering, and not be proud to expose our ignorance. Nowadays, especially summer's coming, you'll see people want to expose their ignorance. They want to expose the body. But actually, this body is in a boat of suffering. We should never, we should not be naive. You take any part of the body and it's made for suffering. This world is not meant for enjoyment. It's meant for suffering. Just to teach you a lesson, you cannot be independent of God. That's all. That's the only lesson you should learn in school. If you're going to school... If you don't learn this lesson, even you're a PhD, the PhD means plow department. If you haven't learned this one lesson, that this material world is simply a place of misery. You take any part of the body, is it constructed for enjoyment? Take the hand. Now, how many ways can the hand enjoy? You tell me. Let us have some. Anyone can tell how the hand can enjoy? Huh? Anything else? Feeding the stomach. That's just a way of... Uh, when the stomach... When we're in hungry, we're in anxiety, so... Feeding is just relieving some anxiety. It's not real pleasure. Massage. Massage. All right, a couple little things. But you think... I can give you so many ways the hand can experience... You give me you know, touching something soft, giving food to the stomach, okay... But I can give you so many examples of how the hand can suffer. You can, here we go again. You can bang it. You can burn it. You can smash it. You can drop it. You can pull the hairs out. Pull the <laughs> <laughs> And actually what we experience as happiness is just when, you know, the burn is healed or the bruise heals or the fingernail grows back. <laughs> There's so many ways the hand can enjoy it. Hardly any way... So many ways it can suffer, hardly any ways it can enjoy. It's made in that way, isn't it? Any part of the body you take like that. There's so many ways you can suffer, and whatever we take to be happiness is what? Just a cessation of pain. Adiatmic, adibotic, and adida. Even as you're sitting here, it's a hard floor, right? I've got the big seat here. It's soft. I can go on and on. When's it only going to stop? God, it's been a half an hour. Chop finger, smash fingernails, pull the hair out. God, what are you going to have? I shot him. I'm not even hungry anymore. I got the big seat here, and you're sitting on the hard floor. It's stuffy in here, and you know maybe you've got a headache. Anytime you think about it, adiatmic, adibotic, and adidivic. This misery has come from the body. 
and the mind there's miseries which come from other living entities maybe the person next to you didn't take a bath for a few days <laughs> um, there's miseries caused by natural occurrences like you know weather conditions and storms and too hot too cold so practically speaking at any moment we're, we just become oblivious to it and that's all we become oblivious but actually at any moment we're just suffering to a greater less and whenever there's a, some relief from the suffering oh this is really nice now wow boy it's not so hot anymore you know, and then it gets too cold please turn the heat back up and back and forth back and forth so this is our situation so the Lord has given us ample warning as we were talking about this morning that this is not our natural place we should pain is actually a symptom that something's wrong so because we're always in a painful condition we should know that something's wrong what's wrong we're in the wrong place we're in the material world it's the wrong place just like when there's pain in your body what does that mean everything's okay if you've got a toothache do you ignore it as soon as you've got a toothache, you, you know, oh, something's wrong. So let me correct it. I go to the dentist, please. Fix this tooth. All right. Okay, thank you. There's a disease. There's a particular disease people have where they can't experience pain. The nerve endings, they become damaged all over the body. And they can't, they can no longer experience pain. So, oh, wow, that would be, I'd really like to have that. That'd be really good, right? But what happens if something goes wrong in your body? Then what? How would you know? How would you know? How would you know? Oh, that's a warning. Something's wrong. It's an unnatural situation. Let me go to the doctor. Pain is actually good in one sense, in the sense that it's, it's, it's nature's warning. Watch out. Something's wrong. So here we are in this Abrahma, Bhuvana, Loka, Punar, Arvitu, Arjuna, Mamopete, Dekuntaya, Punar, Janmane. The highest planet, down to the lowest, all the places of misery. Everything, everything's all right. No, the fact that we're very uncomfortable, the fact that we can't fulfill our desires, the fact that we're frustrated in this material world means that something's not right. That's nature's indication something's wrong. So correct it. Dupanishad said, he's a miserly man who's not solved the problems of life and quits this body like the cats and dogs without having understood the science of self-realization. The human form of life is meant for that. Material life is problematic, and we're meant to solve the problems. And science and technology, they can't solve all. They can make, you know, they can cure your headache or something. But they, what can they ultimately do? Can they stop birth? Can they stop disease, old age, and death? No. Only if you become Krishna conscious. By chanting, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama. So we should not be satisfied until all the problems are solved. Just like Buddha. Buddha, how many of you have heard of Buddha? I guess here, Buddha. So Buddha was an ascetic. We think of him like that, right? As an ascetic, living very simply, very austerely, the Buddha. So, but actually he wasn't born like that. He chose that life voluntarily because he wanted to become Krishna conscious. <laughs> Buddha was actually, his father was a very prominent king, very prominent king, king of whole South India. And Buddha, before his father, before uh, the boy was born, before Buddha was born, Buddha, as Buddha's father said you know, to all his ministers, I don't want my son to experience any misery, to see any of the misery of life. So, you know, whatever misery there is in my kingdom, 
build a huge wall and put it on the other side. And as my son grows up, let him be happy and prosperous. So any t- amount, you know, of suffering, they just, they removed it outside the kingdom. And little, the little boy was born and he grew up. He never saw anything, anything wrong or anything bad. And then he grew up to be 16, Buddha. And then one day he was walking and he was always inside the walls. And um, he, one day he was walking, he said to his servant, what's on the other side of the wall? And his servant, shh, his servant said, my master, I can't tell you that. It's forbidden for you to go on the other side of the wall. So Buddha said, no, I want to know. What's on the other side of the wall? And his, and his servant said, the reality. Buddha said, well, what do you mean? I have 17 years I've been living here. This is not the reality. And his servant said, unfortunately not. This is part of the reality, but the other half's out there. So Buddha said, he was always very intelligent, searching for knowledge. I want to go and see. I want to see. So his servant said, no, no. And Buddha said, I am the prince and you are my servant. Take me outside the wall. Yes, sir. Well, they walked outside this huge wall outside the city. And for a moment, it looked like everything was as the same. Buddha said, what's the difference between this reality and that reality? And his servant said, reality, my Lord, in this world is duality. That is reality. Reality in the material world is duality. So the Buddha said, what does this mean? Reality is duality. And his servant said, duality means the material world is happiness and distress, heat and cold. He gave so many analogies. Buddha said, I don't understand. I, I only know happiness. What is distress? And just as he said that, they were walking down the road. They saw one lady give birth. Because in India, like that, sometimes the ladies, they go, they're even just working in the fields and they give birth. And continue with their work. Now, as you know, especially the ladies here, Prabhupada said, anyone's ever given birth to a child, they say, they make the vow at the time of delivery, I'll never do this again. <laughs> right? Anyway, I'll never go through this again. This is so painful. So birth is our first experience in this material world. Although we're taught, you know, to celebrate our birthday. What is that? That's the, that's the fool's paradise. Oh, I've come into the material world. Key, birth, disease, old age. I just can't wait. I'm so happy to be here, everybody, you know. <laughs> and every year we celebrate my birthday. No, we should not celebrate. On, and Vaishnavas on their birthday, they're supposed to give away charity, do austerities, you know, become purified. You know. We shouldn't celebrate our, our ignorance. It's like the, the prisoner, you know, September 14th, that's the day I entered the prison. Let's have a big party, yeah. <laughs> your second bird, that you can celebrate. The day you take initiation. Prabhupada said, deathlessness begins at the moment of initiation. Well, if you want to celebrate some event, let it be your second birth when you actually take shelter of Guru and Krishna. Deathlessness begins at initiation. So Buddha saw this horrible, you know, birth. So what is this? What, I, I, what is the water coming from her eyes? And his servant said, my Lord, that is tears. Tears? What are tears? Tears are what you express when you're unhappy. <clears throat> oh. And why is her smile <clears throat> turned upside down? 
Right? You smile like that, but when you go like that, then your smile's upside down. He said, what is this? Very strange. Why is her smile upside down? <laughs> My Lord, that is the duality, happiness and distress. And Buddha was shocked. 17-year-old boy, he'd never seen anything like this. They went a little bit further, and they came across a person suffering from leprosy. Here we go again. So leprosy means <laughs> that the thumb falls off and the index finger falls off and they all fall off. And your nose falls off and your ears fall off. <laughs> leprosy. Huh, what is Wow. What is this creature? And the servant said, this is your brother. This is human human being. He said, human being? But he, he does, he's ghastly. Why is he like this? And his servant said, My Lord, this is disease. This is the second reality of material life, the other side of the coin, which everyone must deal with. Buddha was shocked. He said, What? I never saw these things in the kingdom of my father? They walked a little bit further, and then they saw an old man walking with a cane. And Buddha said, Why? He has three legs. And the servant said, no, that is Cain. Due to old age, he cannot stand any longer. And Buddha said, but his skin is not soft. And no, he's old. This is the third reality. And suddenly, the man dropped down, <laughs> dead. And Buddha said, he's sleeping without breathing? How can a man sleep without breathing? And then his servant said, no, no, he's dead. This is the end result of material existence. And Buddha looked his servant in the eye. He said, after seeing all this, the reality of material life, I want nothing to do with it. I want to go to that abode. I want to leave this abode of darkness and go to the abode of light. I want to leave this temporary abode and go to where there is eternity. I don't want anything to... So he went to the nearest tree. Just It was just 10 meters away. Now it's a very famous tree. Ashok tree. He just went there and he sat down and he began his divine meditation. And he became Buddha. And what does Buddha mean? Buddha means the enlightened one. He became enlightened. Buddha actually means intelligent. Technically, the word Buddha in Sanskrit means intelligent one. So Buddha became intelligent. Prabhupada said intelligence means to see things in their proper perspective. So if we can actually become convinced about the nature of material, then we'll understand our real priority of life is Krishna consciousness. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare Rama, Hare Rama. We should all take to Krishna consciousness and solve the problems. But then you may say, but Krishna consciousness, there's some austerities. I don't, I'm not. Everyone's doing austerities. But if you do austerities for the purpose of of Krishna consciousness you make spiritual advancement Prabhupada said austerity means to accept a little inconvenience for the sake of spiritual advancement so don't hesitate to take up the practice of Krishna consciousness because there's a few austerities involved those austerities are actually good for you there's a purpose they detach us from material life healthy austerity just like someone has to just like our devotees here in Birmingham what an austerity to live in this city you drive around, materialistic city, factories, dark. Everybody's smiles turned upside down. <laughs> There's water coming from their eyes. 
So we don't want to be here. We don't like to be in Vrindavan where the cuckoos sing in five types of tunes and there's peacocks and the Jamuna River and now everyone's, all the smiles will turn right up again. That's where we'd like to go. We don't want to be here. But Prabhupada has asked us to preach. So we accept a little austerity and because we accept that austerity we get the Panam Drishta Nivarantante. We get the higher taste. So we should not... Any little austerity, living in the city, sometimes it's a little cold, never see the sunshine here. That's what I heard. Uh, although it used to be said that the sun never sets on the British Empire, I think the other part was the sun never rises in Birmingham. <laughs> That's probably why they went everywhere else. You know? So, um, yeah, a little inconvenience. That's all right. Living all together and crowded... Some inconvenience, but that that austerity, austerity to take up austerity in Krishna consciousness for the sake of spiritual advancement, very good. So we'd have faith, whatever instruction we're given, let us take it and go on with our service. Just like once there was a disciple of Jesus, and told us one along. This is one of Prahlad's favorite stories, so I just saved it for him today. <laughs> made sure he's awake and he's ready. You know. So there was his disciple, and. He, uh, whatever he'd eat, he became thinner. He'd eat and eat and eat, and he became thinner and thinner and thinner. You know, all the other, like, disciples, they came and they said, you know, this is weird, you know. Whatever he eats, he gets skinnier. So they prescribed so many treatments and this and that, and different types of food, which they thought would give him nutrients and, and, and um, put on weight, but nothing, nothing happened. Very strange. So one day the Master came, Lord Jesus came. <clears throat> and as we know, Jesus was able to cure sick. He could even bring heal. He could even bring back life to the dead. He had so many mystic powers. So naturally they approached him. Our Lord and Master, one of your dear disciples, he's very sick. He's just withering away. And everything we are doing, it is not working. So please, you, know, you have the power. Uh, cure him. <laughs> so... Jesus said, yes, you fast for 40 days and 40 nights. Hare Krishna. He just came back from Jagannath Puri. <laughs> oh, and some of the disciples. What? What is... You're, you're telling him to fast? We're telling him to feast and you're telling him to fast. So those disciples who had very little faith, they went away. Whereas the scriptures instruct us, Yasya Devi Para Bhaktir Yata Devi Tata Guru. One who has full faith in both the spiritual master and Krishna, the full import of Vedic knowledge revealed to such a devotee. When the Guru says the rope's a snake, it's a snake, and when the snake's a rope, it's a rope. We may think according to our external vision or our limited kind, it is something, but we are all conditioned, so we have to have at least that faith that we are an illusion there are those who know better so this is what it means to have spiritual master to accept that instruction with faith but those who had of little faith so many went away wow my master he's not my master what does he know he's telling a, an ailing man who's, who has no food to fast what is this they went away so uh, ten days later Jesus came back and he said Oh, how are you? Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I'm really hungry. 
What should, can I eat something? And Jesus said, fast. So then a few more disciples, that was too much. Well, okay, I mean, but, you know, they, that's too much for them. So they went away. So every five days, Jesus would come back. Actually, he was just testing the faith of his disciples. Every day, he would, five days, he would come back. And one by one by one, his materialistic, neophyte, Kanishta <laughs> disciples would go away. A few remained. Whatever the Master says, because he's God's representative, I have faith. What do I know? I have faith in Jesus. So, on the 40th day, Jesus came back. Now you can just imagine. <laughs> we can hardly fast, you know, till the moon rise on Gorpornim. This man had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. So he was, oh, it's so, so very difficult. So, uh, and Jesus came. Oh, I said, now, he brought a, a cup of warm milk with sugar in it. Mm -mm. So you been fasting for so long, you know. And someone came and they brought uh, some warm milk with sugar in it, a little saffron, some cardamom, you know. Mm -mm. So, uh, time's a feast. <laughs> so, uh, the man's like that. So Jesus said, I will put it to thy lips, but do not drink. What? <laughs> I will put it to thy lips. Do not drink. So there was about five disciples left. <laughs> and four left. Four went away. <coughs> what is this? All right. Fine. Now he's just, what kind of master is this? One, I forget the name of the disciple. You know, he, he remains the thick and thin. I think he went back to God. It, pure devotee. So Jesus said, do not drink. So the man, what could he do? He could, you know, <laughs> he was just at the mercy of his master. So he opened his mouth and Jesus put that warm, sweet milk right to his mouth like that. And he said, open up, but do not drink. <laughs> he left his mouth open and, the, and the, the warm aroma was going into his mouth and, you know, and down into his stomach and, you know, the man Who wants to hear the end of the story now? <laughs> Who wants to wait till I come five, five years from now? <laughs> so after 10 minutes, what happened 
Is Jesus is there, the man and that one faithful disciple? And the faithful disciple was amazed. What did he see? A tapeworm came up out of the man's stomach. And it came out of the man's mouth. And so did to drink the, the milk. And Jesus took two rocks and he crushed the head of the tapeworm and he pulled it out. Lord Jesus Christ, key! <laughs> so actually, his, what was his problem? That he had worms. He had a tape. Now, sometimes tapeworms, those of you who have been to India, tapeworms can be this long. They can be big and thick. And what happens is they get in your body. They come to, actually they sometimes begin in your feet. They, you walk and then you get them in your feet, little parasites, and then they lay eggs, and the eggs go and they hatch. And the worm goes to your stomach and he, he just eats what you eat. And actually, he can eat practically more than you can eat. He just absorbs. There's two or three in it. He can just eat and eat. You, as you're eating, you're getting skinny because the tapeworms, they're eating everything, taking all the nutrition. It's a very common disease in India. They, they give a very bitter medicine to get them out, generally in children. So what had happened is as the man was fasting, so was the tapeworm. And he was very, very hungry. And the aroma of the milk came down into the man's stomach, and the tapeworm came out, followed that. He was so hungry. And he came and he started drinking, and Jesus, you know, whack, he killed him. He pulled him out, and the man was cured. So, Yasha Devi Para Bhakti, Yata Devi Tata Guru. You have to have faith. Whatever is the instruction, we must follow. And, of course, we were talking about austerity. The man had to practice some austerities, but he was the, in the end, he, he benefited. So, if there's some inconvenience in Krishna consciousness, then um, we follow no problem because the end result is always wonderful whatever austerity you do in the material world there's no lasting result but whatever austerity you can do in Krishna consciousness Krishna reciprocates a thousandfold Srimad Bhagavad Gita Ki Shri Prabhupada Ki Birmingham Yatra Ki Go Premanandi Hare Krishna Questions. Who understands Yasudevi Devi Para uh, Bhakti verse better now? Full faith in the spiritual master Krishna. Raise your hand. We don't have to go to that forty days and forty nights. We just have to wait forty more minutes for Prashadam. <laughs> Any questions? Oh, yes. Would you mention these austerities? Mm. Why do we do some austerities on our birthday? Just to make us sober, like go and sing a ton. Huh? Uh, oh, what are the austerities? Um, getting up at three o'clock in the morning. Uh, taking a lukewarm. We used to say cold. We don't say it. It's the nineties, you know. Taking a, <laughs> taking a lukewarm shower. Refraining from illicit sex. Refraining from meat eating, uh, intoxication, gambling. We have very, everyone, we're conditioned in this society, we have very strong tendencies towards those things. And we think that they're a source of enjoyment. But actually, if you analyze them, they, they in and of themselves, they're a source of misery. So we, we see it as an austerity that we can't smoke or drink or have sex or gamble or watch television, you know. You can't watch, you don't watch television? I mean, at least the news, no. But actually, these things are all polluting. Intoxication, the word toxic is there. So you're taking intoxic alcohol. These things all are detrimental to one's body, to one's mind. Uh, 
meat eating, of course, detrimental to the animal because you have to kill him, uh, causes disease in your body. So we see it as an austerity, but actually it's initially it appears to be an austerity what we do in Krishna consciousness, but ultimately it's not austerity. There's no austerities in Krishna consciousness; it's just nectar. But because we have a strong tendency towards that sense gratification, when we have to stop it, we think we're missing something. But as soon as we make advancement in Krishna consciousness, we, we discover a life which is so much better than that, and we realize we're not actually missing anything. Those things were just in themselves a source of misery. So actually there's no austerities. It appears like austerity, getting up early. And, you know, when we get up early, we think, oh, three o'clock in the morning, wow. You know, get out of bed. That's our initial response. But then as one progresses in Krishna consciousness, he realizes, I, I'm getting up early. I have so much time now for chanting. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama. It means instead of dreaming in ignorance, I can come see the beautiful form of um, Panchatattva. Actually, by the way, when we were in France, Srila Prabhupada wrote us, because we wanted deities for our traveling sangatan. And we wanted to install Gornitai deities. So Prabhupada wrote us back. He said, there's no need. He said, the picture of Panchatattva is the deity for Kali Yuga. She Panchatattva ki. And um, I remember in Paris when Prabhupada came, and uh, he, when he saw the picture of Panchatattva, very similar to this, Prabhupada came to our temple in uh, Fontenay-Rose. It's a real ramshackle little building and Prabhupada came he saw the picture of Panchatuff his eyes lit up and he's so reverential and he did full dandabats in front of the picture stood up so I was thinking you know Prabhupada seeing Lord Chaitanya here and years later Prabhupada confirmed it when he when he wrote us we want a deity so there's no need to install the deity he said the picture of Panchatuff is the deity for Kali Yuga so you have very beautiful deities here so we get up at 3 o'clock it's not on a stair you want to see these beautiful forms of the Lord and to chant the sweet names of the Lord. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama. So on that happy note, we'll finish. Thank you very much. All glories to Shri Prabhupada. Hare Krishna. God.
Bishop City. Uh, Salute.